Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our host is Dr. Adam Lauther, co-founder and vice president for research at the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. The ANWA Deterrence Center is a 501c3 organization ensuring a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent and its ongoing modernization. Thank you for listening and welcome to the show. The views of the host and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of NucleCast. Of course, I am your host, Adam Lowther, and today we're doing something a bit different on a topic that we have never talked about before. And as you know, I always strive to bring you new topics and new interesting points. So we've really never talked about the Seaburn mission. We've never really talked about, you know, there was the mission used to belong to U.S. Strategic Command, and now it's transferred to Special Operations Command. And of course, they're well-trained to go around the world and hunt for radiological materials that might get into the wild. And given the strategic challenges we're having with Russia, China, North Korea, potentially Iran, there's a lot going on. And I thought the topic was was quite prescient. And so we've asked Ben Hall, Aaron McAdoo, and Kathy Riddle from Kodiak Solutions to come on the show to talk about a capability that they've developed that makes hunting for these nuclear materials and detecting them a bit easier. And I thought they could talk about what they've invented and then also talk about the mission and how we're out there actively looking to promote this effort at nonproliferation and ensuring that bad guys don't get stuff we don't want them to have. So with that, Ben, Kathy, Aaron, welcome to NucleCast. Thank so, you. So could you tell me, just quickly tell us about what is Kodiak Solutions and, and Kathy, I know you're the inventor and you've got a, you know, Ben, your former Australian Army, Aaron, your former U.S. Army Special Forces, and Kathy, you were an INL uh, scientist that developed the capability. So can you tell us what it is and what you, what it's designed to do? And then Ben and then Aaron, can you talk about the mission and sort of the broader context in which all of this is happening? Sure. Um Kodiak colorimetric detection of actinides is a rapid color change, visual color change, for um, actinide elements such as uranium, uh, plutonium, americium, that will give you contact information as soon as you, say, you wipe Kodiak across a surface. If it turns purple, you've got a hit for uranium. Um, If it turns these different colors, you get a visual hit for uranium. And the really neat thing about um, Kodiak is we all know that someday something's going to happen. It's not going to be an RDD radioactive dispersal device in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa. It's going to be downtown Chicago, Manhattan, LA, uh, London, all of these big places across the world. And during the worst moment of people's lives, they can take uh, some solace that Kodiak can very, very quickly 
tell them if there's an issue with them, with their area, and it's going to really help first responders um, get to the core of where the radioactive material is uh, in, in under a minute. So essentially, because I saw uh, Ben was showing me what what the it looks sort of like a wet wipe, and that you could literally wipe it on a person, on your clothing, on a handrail, and you could tell how what that dispersal pattern looked like. Absolutely, yeah. First responders can move in to towards the detonation or the contamination area. They can survey as they go and get instantaneous response as to what they've just surveyed, as opposed to having to send thousands of grab samples to a laboratory and wait, you know, weeks to months to get results back. It is it is instantaneous uh, response, whether it's a go, no go, they have something or they don't. So, Aaron, let me come to you now, because you're, you know, prior U.S. Special Forces, you know, this is a mission that Special Forces, you know, is actively working now. It was transferred to them. Can you talk about this, you know, C. Bernie mission, the challenges, and what you're out there actively trying to do around the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um and just for clarification, so I am most familiar with Army Special Forces because I was an Army officer uh, assigned to SOCOM for a number of years, but I did not actually have an extensive Seaburn background. So that's been, um, that's been a new world for me, but I've had the opportunity over the last year to work with uh, SOCOM and their Seaburn forces to discuss use cases and how, how this would potentially benefit them. So um, as the conversations have progressed, we've discovered that it, this is potentially of, of great benefit to the EOD teams who go out and um, identify different types of munitions and whether or not those munitions could be contaminated. Um, and also sensitive site exploitation, if they're going someplace where they uh, have intelligence that would indicate that there may have been some radiological uh, activity they can very quickly use this to screen um, those sites and identify whether or not they need to focus their Seaburn capabilities, the more advanced technical capabilities on those targets. Um, so that's been the, um, the broadest use case for the military is for identifying places where there is, is believed to have been uh, radiological uh, activity. But the, the key that has come out of all of this is the speed to intelligence. So when you're trying to uh, make decisions on the battlefield and you have limited resources, a capability like Kodiak allows you to rule out extensive uh, swaths of area where, um, where that, that concern may not be as high and allows you to focus your uh, more advanced assets on critical targets. So one of the things we've talked about on previous episodes, uh, we had Gerald Goodfellow, the CEO of the Small Business Consulting Corporation, which helps small businesses develop uh, a path to success in government contracting. Because one of the things we're interested in is in how do small businesses that have new capabilities that can benefit the government, benefit the military, bring that, you know, capability to government. And one of the things that uh, 
General Goodfellow talked about is that there's this valley of death where you can initially get your first contract and then to make it sustainable, it becomes, you know, a significant challenge. And so one of the things I'd like, you know, you guys to perhaps share with us is for you as a new small business that has developed a capability that from everything we've talked about, sounds like it be, could be really beneficial. How is it trying to make this capability available to government? Do we have the kinds of rules in place that make it easy to work with the government? Is it difficult? Is it a long path? And and for a small business, is it something that's sustainable or does it take a lot of sort of, I got to have a lot of capital up front to try to make, you know, to cover this long duration period before I can see success. Ben, perhaps you can talk about that. Yeah, thanks, Adam. So where, where, where to start with that one? So I'll, it, it is the, the, the pathway to getting into government is available to small businesses, ab- absolutely. But it also depends on how the technology was originally developed. So, so for instance, if this was something that is part of an ongoing R&D program that, that is constant, that, that is constantly, um, you know, re- receiving small amounts of funding for, you know, the, the next phase of R&D, that there is a pathway to ramp up uh, and then sort of gain gain entry to government sales, you know, through programs of record and get onto the GSA and so on and so forth. However, uh, one of the other options available is when, when technology like this is is invented and then licensed by by small companies, um, you know, you do need a substantial amount of capital uh, up front to, to sort of make your way in this space. But as long as you're methodical and, and have the right approach, the, the avenues are there. And so what, what do I mean by that? You know, making sure that what you're making is actually what people want. So after we licensed this technology, you know, we, we went out and we spoke to over 200 stakeholders around the world in the emergency services, you know, policing, military and healthcare sectors, over 200 stakeholders around the world uh, from you know, primarily Five Eyes governments and there was fantastic feedback that came from that. But what that helped us do is to sort of tailor our products even more and then be able to make them even more specific to our future, our future customer base. And, you know, whilst I can actually go on about this forever, I think this might be a good time to cut to Aaron just quickly because what we were talking about on the RDAX is actually one of those pathways. Yeah, so uh, so when when I was first introduced to Ben and joined the team, we um, we talked about the pathway, the acquisition process, and how um, I I specifically said that you know with my background in special operations that uh, I I thought that that was a, a good avenue is to um, is to take the capability to um, a more streamlined uh, organization that understands the importance of accelerating. Uh, getting these capabilities to the right stakeholders. Um, so yeah, that's so we that's why we started with SOCOM was to go and and get their feedback and then to work through that process. So this past week, uh, um, Ardax Dragon Spear is a is an 
unclassified open uh, research and development exercise where uh, SOCOM has developed an incredible opportunity for uh, companies to bring technology out there. Um, there is a there is an application submission process, but once you get the technology out there, it gives the soldiers the chance to to play with things, to kind of you know stress test things, um, in in some cases you know find out the breaking limit of new capabilities. But um, but those opportunities are just phenomenal for both the military and uh, industry to figure out what works and what doesn't, and to identify a pathway forward. So. Um, that's just one step in that procurement process. Uh, it's, it's a long pathway, but um, we've been really fortunate to, uh, to work with them uh, to, to start that process. And I think it'll be a, a much easier transition over to the conventional force once we uh, have identified and worked out any issues. And then, yeah, so and then I might just add one, one more quick point on that, that we've also established a network of distribution partners around the world in the sort of 14 eyes nations that allows us access to to pe- to companies who are already dealing with governments and defense forces so it's a way of us sort of reaching you know the right people and the right revenue earlier on whilst we're still growing so as you you know you're working with uh, socom I, i'm just curious cuz we in the us we've put together this you know, the AF works, strike works, you know, all of these sort of efforts to try to bring these technologies in more readily to make money available, to speed the process. Is that part of the process you guys are taking now? Or are you sort of following that that traditional acquisition process? Yeah, I can jump on this one. Uh, we immediately went to Softworks and Affworks, um, and uh, and definitely uh, saw benefit in pursuing that avenue. The um, ironically through that process, we identified that we were much further along in our TRL development of the product. So, um, so where where they like to help uh, new and emerging technologies to figure out who they are or, or what they want to become. Uh, when we initially uh, made contact with Softworks and started through that process, basically um, identified that we've got something that could potentially benefit the market right now. So uh, we kind of, yeah, it's it's a fantastic process, but for us, we were able to kind of uh, um, accelerate into the field testing type uh, arena. Now it's that time in the show where we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, Kathy, I want to ask you, because this is, you know, I've never had somebody on who was a scientist at one of the national labs, developed a technology, and then left a lab to, I mean, I know they're out there, but you're the first one we've had on Nuclecast. So when we come back, could you talk about that process? You know, what did you do? How did you make that decision? What made you decide, hey, I want to go out on my own? Because I'm sort of curious for for, you know, across the labs, you know, we've got more than a dozen labs where scientists are out there building stuff, making new things. And, you know, what made you decide to do it and how did it work? So you're listening to Nuclecast. We're talking to the leadership team at Kodiak Solutions and we'll be right back. This episode of Nuclecast is brought to you by the Analog Deterrence Center. 
whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back. And we're talking to Ben Hall, Aaron McAdoo, and Kathy Riddle from Kodiak Solutions, who have developed what seems to be a really interesting technology for detecting uh, radionuclides in that are perhaps out in the wild. And we're, you know, there's been a RDD or you know who knows what's happened. And so, Kathy, your former INL Idaho National Labs, you developed this capability, and then. Now you're part of a, a, a new company. Can you walk me through that process and what made you make the decisions you made? Um, actually, I am still with Idaho National oh, Laboratory. Wow. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm still a senior uh, research scientist there. So this is a wonderful um, collaboration between industry partner and a national lab. So Kodiak Solutions is working under a collaboration um, document that actually is able to pay me to work at the National Lab at INL um, and use some of the, the, most, uh, the most dangerous materials, radioactive materials on the planet. Um, there are very few places, if any, other than a national lab where you can actually work using the uh, the transuranics, the plutoniums, the americiums, neptuniums, all of these uh, radioactive materials um, that are very difficult to work with. They're very difficult to even get outside of a national lab environment. So this is the perfect collaboration between national lab and industry. And um, Kodiak, from a researcher's standpoint, this is amazing to me every day. We work in such a small little little place in in our laboratories um, as a research scientist. We we do research, you know, every day, all the time. We come up with our ideas. Um, we get them funded. We move forward with them. It is an exceptional moment in time when that technology that we've been developing moves out of the laboratory space and into actual market, into actual production. Um, I can speak for many researchers that what we want to see in our careers, in our world, is for our technologies to move forward and make the world a better place, to help people, like I said earlier, in the worst moments of their life. Um, to be able to do that is just is just astounding to me still to this moment. It is just an amazing accomplishment. Um, and to be able to collaboratively work between INL and Kodiak Solutions is the best of both, both worlds. So is this relationship that you described, because it's, I don't think I was really familiar with it, that the labs were partnering with small businesses to push their you know, the cape, the technologies, because I can imagine from, you know, I've spent a lot of time at Livermore and some at Los Alamos and Sandia. And so, you know, weapons development labs, but I, I just wonder, is this a common thing across, you know, whether it's Lincoln or whether it's Argonne or you pick the lab where you have scientists working on things and then they develop something and then they sort of have a, aha, and I think this has some commercial, you know, utility. And then the labs, because normally, you know, government, you know, I know the labs are, are GOCOs, so they're not really government, but they're, 
you know, quasi-government, and you don't really think of them as being sort of the creators of commercial capability. And so is this a common thing across labs or is INL unique? Maybe you're unique or is it just more common than I think it is? I can, I can only speak for INL, but it is, it is common. It's called um, a strategic um, program, uh, partnership program. Uh, and this is, this is one of the reasons the lab is here. It's not just um, science for the sake of science, engineering for the sake of engineering. We are here to help the, the U.S., to help um, the citizens who fund, as you said, you know, through, through a cooperation between the government and a private contractor. We are here to help um, make the lives of people better, whether it's through nuclear energy, whether it's through Kodiak, um, this is our job. And as a scientist, um, I embrace that. It's the, we are being paid to come up with the solutions that help people to help their lives. And Kodiak does that. So walk me through this process and maybe Ben, you can jump in here. So Kathy, you're at the lab, you're working in your lab and you develop this capability and you say, this is great you know, I think people could benefit from it. We want to get it out to a wider audience. So Ben, where do you come in? How, how does a, you know, a business get created that takes Kathy's invention and then turn it into something that's, you know, that SOCOM has perhaps other militaries, you know, the five eyes, how, what's that process? Cause I'm completely unfamiliar with it. So that, 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 that's a great question. Um, so w- where do we start? So, so once the technology has been identified at, at a national lab, for instance, and you know, we, on an initial assessment, we'll, we'll have a look at it and go, right, what is the utility to society? Where, you know, who's going to use this? What's the return on investment going to be? You know, how, how big is the potential market for this? We, we, do a, we do a brief assessment of that to start with, and then we decide to license or acquire that technology depending on the terms of the lab. So from there, someone like me is hired and we, we start to build out a company. Um, and from then, from there, we start to build out the business case around this you know so for instance with in the case of kodiak we looked at it and we went right this is a whole of force complementary capability and, and and what do i mean by that um this is very complementary to existing technology it will do things like more efficient use of current nuclear search teams so if you picture a hundred thousand soldiers in a deployed environment being asked to reach into your pocket get a wet wipe and wipe the nearest door handle. And whatever turns purple, that's where your specialists go. That's a very powerful tool. So these are the sorts of questions we started to ask ourselves around building this business out. And then we did what we discussed before, went and spoke to a couple of hundred stakeholders around the world and said, "What, what is your interest in this? So from there, then it's all about the people. So, you know, when, when you look around this call now, so... You have doc, Dr. Riddle, who we work with under a strategic partnership program. Uh, one of the other, the, the other inventor of Kodiak, um, Dr. Rick Demmer. So we work with him on a daily basis um, as, a, as a private citizen. 
and then Aaron, you know, with, with his back, his background in U.S. special forces and being able to deep, deeply understand what those government needs are and what the operational needs are, particularly in a deployed environment. And then, you know, we we have uh, our head of operations as a former lawyer and accountant, and you know, uh, a former KPMG strategy consultant. Our marketing director used to work for Ralph Lauren and and so on. And sort of where, where I go with that is it's about the commercial assessment to start with and then building the right team of people to make sure that we can get the tech into the hands of the people that need it the most. And so how hard, you know, how hard is that to do, you know, for, you know, I've spent most of my life, you know, as my adult life and career has been working for the military and so I, I wonder if you're a young corporation with a new capability, is that really hard or is it, and is it getting harder, getting easier? What is that like? So I, what, what, you probably won't like my answer here. Um, <laughs> I love coming to work every single day. There is, it is challenging, but I never once wake up and go, this is too hard to do. Um, we we genuinely have novel technology. There is nothing else like this in the world. So, you know, all, all jokes aside, any change, implementing any change is difficult and that includes bringing new technology to life, new products into the market because we are making the market as we go. We have to educate people about the product and why it's complementary, how it increases their ability to detect threats at borders. You know, and then the the aha moment that we get from people, and when we know that whilst it's been hard to get there, we we do get an aha moment, uh, aha moment from people, such as we were talking to a uh, a U.S. military um, officer who was thinking about future deployments near borders, and said, "So you're telling me if I was to line up a hundred people wanting to running across a border." and ask them to, to rub their hands on a white cloth, I could just simply walk down that line and put and apply some of this liquid to each one of them and find out who's been handling nuclear materials. I said, yes, absolutely. And that was the moment at which they go, right, I now understand what this is about, but it probably took a couple of weeks to get there. And then somebody in the British forces who went, so you're telling me I could rub down captured soldiers weapon or boots and like yes absolutely so it's the hard part is getting to the aha moment once you're there it's a lot easier yeah and so kathy i was thinking about it while ben was talking i was just curious what is your positive detection rate because that's one of the the challenges with detecting nuclear materials is that that detection rate and just how many you know, how much nuclear material do you need so that you can detect it? So what is that for Kodiak? It, it's very low detection rates. Um, we'll get a color change for, for using this as an example for uranium at one part per million. Uh, so we're above background, which is good because we even here in Idaho and our surrounding states, there's a lot of uranium mining. So you want above background um, or you'd be finding it everywhere. So we are um, highly above background, one part per million. Um, you'll get that color change. Um, my summer uh, uh, intern, my undergraduate interns and I did a lot of work over the summer 
to um, find the exact, you know, how, how long it takes. And it is near instantaneous, the color change. Uh, it, is, it is pretty amazing to watch. Um, all of a sudden you've got a piece of white fabric that turns a brilliant shade of purple in the presence of, of uh, uranium. And it, it's everyone we've shown it to um, has as just, they're just like, how does that work? And so, well, I can't tell you how that works, but it works. It works really well. And um, it's just amazing to see. So it's that time in the show where I like to bring out Bob. And Bob is my magic genie. And if I rub the lamp, Bob pops out. Bob grants guests on Nuclecast three wishes, but only wishes related to the topics we've been discussing. So as Bob grants your three wishes I will let you guys decide who makes the first wish. So, do, Ben, do you want to go first? So, my my first wish would be that the, the 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 next steps that we were talking about in terms of a small business sort of successfully entering the the U.S. government sales market, that our next steps are not not as long as others have been. Okay. I, I get that one. I can understand that. That makes sense. As a government guy, I understand. Uh, how about Kathy? You want to go second? So wish number two. That there isn't this immediate need to have to use Kodiak because again, worst day of someone's life, but when it does happen, we are there and we are there to save lives. Yeah. Well said. Aaron. Yeah. Third in the shoot. That's, that's hard to follow that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, you know, getting, getting this capability into the right hands. Uh, so we've just had phenomenal response from first responders, um, from emergency management, from we've, we've talked with FEMA, Homeland security, um, TSA, Coast Guard, uh, DOD. I, I just we think that the capability is uh, is just an incredible enhancement to current capabilities. So the uh, just kind of that that wildfire moment where it, it catches on and spreads and gets gets into all the right hands. Uh, we don't we don't want to be late to the fight. We're we're trying to get this to the right people uh, before they need it. Uh, so that would be my my caveat wish to the to the that have already been presented. All right. Well, Ben Hall, Kathy Riddle, Aaron McAdoo from Kodiak Solutions, thanks for joining us on this episode of Nuclecast. Thank, Thank you. you very much for having us. And it was, I enjoyed it. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we'll see you on the next episode. Well, we don't normally talk to companies that have developed products, but given that it was in sort of the nuclear space, I'm always interested in how do we do what we do better? Because if we're facing the Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians, and we have to out, you know, technology has always been one of the things that the U.S. military has relied on as its comparative advantage. So I'm always interested in how do we get new technologies into the military? How do we make that work? How do we streamline it? How do we make it faster? And so for me, it was interesting, especially to talk to Kathy about how 
uh, INL is working, you know, they've developed a technology. Now they want to commercialize that technology. And so sort of talking with them about doing that, I thought was really interesting. And so hopefully you sort of saw similar things to me and you found it interesting as well. This has been a production of the Amber Deterrence Center, a 501c3 that seeks to educate key decision makers, stakeholders, and the public to ensure a broader understanding of the nation's strategic nuclear deterrent. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington, and this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Crumpall. Help us grow our followers by sharing it and follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at NuclearCast.